This is Ian Freebairn-Smith, and on behalf of the board, I welcome you to another ASMAC podcast. What you're about to hear is a recording of one of our monthly luncheon presentations recorded at Catalina's Jazz Club in Hollywood. These podcasts feature leading Hollywood composers, arrangers, orchestrators, and musicians talking about their lives and music. about today, and I'm not going to waste any time. We've got a special presentation by, um, <laughs> we're trying to give them a name, this, this congregation of singers that are with us today. We thought of something like the ASMAC All-Star Singer Band. Um, somebody suggested the ASMAC Foreground Singers. Um, I'm just going to very quickly mention their names, and they're going to congregate. Uh, Morgan Ames, Melissa uh, Mackay, Shelby Flint, Linda Harmon, Mary Highland, Deborah Dietrich, Randy Crenshaw, Don Shelton, Jennifer Barnes, Alvin Chia, Jimmy Bryant, Michael Geiger, Jean Merlino, Sally Stevens, Gerald White, Clark Burroughs, Christine Helfrich, and Michelle Weir. And they're all, all going to be um, singing a piece that was arranged by Ian Friedman Smith. So. Without further ado, won't you welcome this wonderful organization of singers. Mopping up soda pop the Ricky's 
wonderful musician that's among us today that's going to introduce the special guest that we have today. So won't you welcome Mr. Frank Comstock, ladies and gentlemen. See, I got a lot of stuff here to talk about. And uh, when Gene heard I was going to introduce him, he said, "Did I lose? Did I lose the talk?" I said, "No, nobody wants to talk about you anyway, so nobody can remember your name." Anyway, I thought I'd be very humble here and try to get a quick Gene, so you can get on, tell your lies like you do. But anyway, I first met Gene in the 1950s, early 50s. He came over to my house and he wanted me to do some arranging for this new group he had. And I knew right away without even looking at his music that this is my friends were like, because he had the worst sense of humor, terrible <laughs> jokes, puns, and I love him. <laughs> so he'll be my friend forever, no matter what he writes. But he does write pretty good music. <laughs> anyway, um, we had a lot of fun doing things, and I think we both stretched the I think we both stretched the limits of where we should have been. Maybe we did some wrong things, but we had fun doing it and we had a ball. I think of the 12 or 10 or 12 albums I did with them, they're probably one of the fun times of my life. And somewhere along the way, we got um, kind of uh, enamored of Bob Farnham, who's probably known to a few people here. <clears throat> and when Bob heard that we were going to do this little thing for Gene, he said, I've got to get in there. So he sent me some letters. He'd like me to read them to you, so I'm going to do that at this point. And if you don't understand it, I don't either. <laughs> but where, oh, I guess we threw them away. Where are they? He says, Gene Perling, now you know the lasting value of a Lloyd Webber chord chart. <laughs> Congratulations, dear Trout. I'm not sure what that means. It's only in the English language, I guess. And with great admiration and affection, Paul Farnham. Gene. Uh, a couple copies. You can either hang them on your wall or, or use them for toilet paper or whatever you want. And so anyway, that was uh, about what I was going to say today. But then I was handed this other letter from um, Rob O'Connell, who says, if somebody can read it, Please do. So I guess that's me. <laughs> Jackie, you want to read it? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, in 1977, Gene Perling called me to Toronto, in Toronto. On the phone, he introduced himself as a vocal arranger with the invitation to get together and discuss possible recordings with the Singers Unlimited and my band, The Boss Brass. I had been enjoying their records since they started, so I knew what he was talking about. Our eventual recordings in 1978 and another with the high lows at that time continue to be remembered by me as the best time I've ever had in my music. The best people, the best music, and the most fun. The fact that my wife, Margaret, and I became great friends with Jean and Helen from this beginning is surely a bonus, and we didn't foresee at the time how nice. I'd like to add my name to the long list of musicians all over the world that know that our friend Gene Perling is the very best. Regards, Rob McConnell. Anyway, I, I tell you, I'd like to introduce my old buddy, probably one of the great musical talents of all times, and I say probably the next president of the United States, Gene Perling. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll be talking more about Frank a little bit later. But uh, I just want to say 
I love arrangers. Well, uh, I'm going to get into the rangers a little bit later, but I'm going to start from scratch here, if I may. So, yeah, I was born in Milwaukee, March 31st, 1929, on Easter Sunday. And when I talked to my mother later on, and many years later, of course, I said, kept mother's, asked about the birth and everything, and she said, well, I was in no mood. <laughs> so having been an abandoned child, I took up local ranger. And uh, we started, of course, with the high lows. And Clark was at 50 or 51? 51. 51. And uh, I came from Milwaukee where I did a lot of local group work. And, High schools and that sort of thing had many groups, and uh, some of which I just I just love the names of. When you think about it, there was one called Four. It was a barbershop group called the Four Shades. It's <laughs> kind of perfect. Uh, that sheet over there. Okay. Youngsters. Just as well. Yeah, the youngsters have pregnant Clark. Yeah, and uh, uh, a group called the Double Daters. Two positively beautiful ladies, very well endowed. And we had great sweaters with two D's. Oh no! I couldn't sing very well, but it didn't matter. Well, I, I, there it is. Okay. That's not it. And then I had a group with three, two, three and two. Singers will know what that means, the honeybees. And um, you probably want to know how I got started as a vocal arranger and everything. Well, when I was in high school, I had not one of these groups, but I started arranging for a lot of situations and everything. And I never studied music formally, but uh, I just listened to a lot of groups through the years, the early part in particular, that were very important to me. And there were some groups in particular with all the great chords and everything that. Uh, I listened to to get some ideas, you know, the Cordettes, um, the Mills Brothers, Miss Miller Chorus. <laughs> You're supposed to know that those weren't big chords. <laughs> but um, I have I have always enjoyed uh, writing thick stuff. I just from the get-go, even with the high lows, I think I filled things as much as I could to be just, you know, uh, heavy and and, uh, and uh, full of ideas. And it takes me a long time to write and read now, in particular, as we forget many things. But uh, I know that in writing, I find that if I have a good intro and a good tag, I'm home free. <laughs> but uh, it's hard to come to those things. So, I mean, I take a week on working on an intro, you know, routine, right? Jeepers. But uh, I, I really do enjoy it. It was a different thing to write for the t uh, for Singers Unlimited as for the high lows. Because the high lows, we always had, uh, we sang a lot of acapella stuff. So that was nice. We were self contained there. But we still did many intricate things all the way through our career, especially with Frank and at the beginning. Uh, really marvelous albums, I thought. I still enjoy listening to them. I have Apple iPod, and I put all of the, 
Singers Limited and all the high lows on there, 28 albums. And I can listen to the whole thing, just push the shuttle, you know, and it goes boom. All the different things. I'm just sick of it now, so I'm going to change the routine. Um, the, um, the arranging uh, is important to me because I ran into some things as we went through the years, particularly at Columbia Records when we first met uh, Mr. Miller. And he, I had some uh, very heated uh, meetings with him in his office at Columbia. And Mitch tried to make the high-lows into some sort of Brothers Four or something like that. <laughs> but uh, he did get his lick at us with a few things called Whistling Down the Lane and other great hits. <laughs> but after he knew he couldn't do anything, he gave us some new uh, producers to work with us, and that helped a lot. And I must say, I feel so lucky because throughout my life as a vocal arranger, I've been given marvelous latitude uh, as to the material that I would like to do for the groups and um, arrange and uh, orchestrators and that, that is just something that you can't believe so uh, you know no one, no one else in life gets the things to do things just that well that's a whole rap for me so I've been so lucky and so many people to uh, thank um, the um, I just want to go through, I think, the, the arrangers for the high-lows first, so I don't uh, get this mixed up. We had many, of course, but uh, Frank Comstock was not the first one, but the one that did the most of the work for us and the, the great stuff. Jerry Fielding was the first gentleman that uh, heard us. Although we, we sang uh, for many people around Los Angeles at that time. Anyone who would listen to it, you know. I, at the time, I worked at Music City, Sunset Divine. So I used to see Billy coming through and Nelson. And, you know, Eden Naves walking by, and there was Capitol Records there, and all that good 50s stuff, you know. So it was, you remember. <laughs> it was just, just marvelous to uh, be there. So I got to know a lot of people, and I just say, could we sing for you, you know, at some point? And most people just love me, have a sing. So we finally uh, sang for Jerry Fielding. And he was working for a little company called Trend Records, Albert Marx's outfit. And we got to record it at Radio NX. Really recorded his annex there. But Bones Howe, I think, was our engineer at the time. And uh, Santa Monica. And uh, it was just great because we, uh, we had the mar marvelous sound that we got with Jerry, Jerry's writing and everything. And uh, we did, didn't even do a, a CD at that time or an album because there was nothing like it at the time. We did 78s. First things that we did came out on 78. But, uh, then the next things were just a little, it was a group of uh, EPs. Remember those? Slightly extended 45s mm -hmm. with more music on did those and uh, that flopped. But we did get a lot of airtime, and that helped because that was early 50s. I guess we were just sneaking in there at the right time. And so we got a lot of airtime, and so we went on to other record companies Starlight Records. And Frank, we did uh, our first records were from Starlight. We're a small, very small group, I think, just a quartet, wasn't it, Frank? Sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. We are. Maybe uh, 12 guys. No, I meant on the first, uh, first uh, yeah. CDs. Really, low key stuff, you know, gold star recording. I think we were working on three channels, weren't we? Something it was very minimal. I don't remember that many. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> 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 One channel. Yeah, yeah, if, if that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we really enjoyed you know, doing things on, and we did five or six albums there and progressed using the big band stuff and a lot of people that uh, 
worked with us, and uh, Jerry Feely, of course, Frank did most of our things. How many albums did we do, Frank? I think 10 or 12. 10 or 12. Well, you. Yeah. Did you get ever pay anything? No. Still <laughs> waiting. That's one of the things that's unique about our group, both groups, the High Lows and the Singers and Limited. We have not yet received a royalty. <laughs> but we did use expensive arrangers and uh, big bands. So I can understand. Right. They didn't get paid either. Yeah. <laughs> Too late now. <laughs> so, um, then uh, running down the line here, I think almost next was Claire Fisher, because he was our first uh, accompanist for the high lows. Well, a few other people, but Claire is the one I remember most that we remember. And he not only write, uh, wrote many great arrangements for us vocally, but did all the instrumental things that we did. Later on, uh, we did two albums with the Singers Limited that I'll talk about, uh, and Clarice, those were his, his things, and great stuff. You definitely know when you're hearing a Clara Fisher arrangement. It's very unique. It's on to, into itself. It's just, you know, it's Clara, and that's great. Warren Barker. We worked with Warren Barker on an album called uh, Broadway Playbill at Columbia. Two pianos doing that, you know, piano playhouse type thing, and orchestra behind. It was just great. You've heard it, haven't you? No, okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry now, they're all coming out again anyhow, so. <laughs> but Warren wrote some great stuff for us, and other singles too as we went along. Uh, Bob Florence wrote a few charts for us, and Bob's here today. Somewhere. Ta da! Me, Bob. <laughs> And from, so that's coming up. Jim, I'll do this song. <laughs> I won't forget anyone. Don't worry. <laughs> really, Frank, huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, Bob Florence, we just talked about Billy May. And Billy was supposed to be here today, but just at the last moment had to cancel. We're sorry about that. But I think if we, if time uh, allots us, I'm just going to be talking like this for about an hour and a half, so we'll have time to do other things later on. <laughs> and Frank Duvall, of course, I was thinking that Columbia Records, we did some things with him. Uh, again, again, a different type of ranger, and that was what was so nice for us. We had different kind of rangers that brought something else to the table, and they were always unique in their own stead, you know, they all had a different spin on things. I tried to hold them down, but sometimes it didn't work. So, so I, what I did most was just to make a lot of notes there so they couldn't play too much. <laughs> we did some, we did, uh, uh, what do you call it, High Los Happens, Wasanova, and Shorty Rogers did a few charts for that album. And I guess the other one, the guy that was, uh, was Chuck Sagal, we won't discuss that right now. And, um, and there were some other people there too. Uh, Frank DeWalt And of course, then Rob McConnell. He did a High Lows chart, or High Lows album, called Back Again for MPS Records. This funny little company in Germany, and recorded in the Black Forest, and did all this stuff over there. And uh, I'll tell you how this happened when we get to the TSU segment here. I just think that's about it for the High Lows. Just, uh, they're just. Um, Marvelous, in that lot alone, great arrangers that we worked with. In the high lows, we uh, started our first album for NPS in Chicago, because that's where we started as a group in 1967. And Don Shelton, Len Dressler, and, uh, got, called me after I'd just 
moved back to Chicago with Helen, my wife. Yeah, you were my wife at the time, right? My wife been married once. Twenty-seven years. Well, we lived there. We're thirty-six. That's not bad. Good show. And, um, so in Chicago, we were mainly doing singing commercials, but. Uh, to make a splash to the agency people, I wrote a chart of Fool on the Hill mm. using a lot of tracks, eight tracks. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> and we loaded those things, you know, as far as we could without getting whatever you get, you know. And it took us forever, but it was a, a nice sound. It got to be bigger and bigger, as you know. And we stopped at the Mormon Tackle, choir level one. <laughs> so that's it. So we took that particular. Uh, track to uh, cassette at that time, to Audrey Morris, who's a great uh, singer in Chicago, and uh, cabaret type singer. And she was a very dear friend of Oscar Peterson, played it for Oscar, and that was the start of our career with MPS Records, because he was already signed to that label. Oscar heard it, said, write something. Uh, he said, you can do whatever you want, just write make me something, and like that, and I did. And, uh, that was one of her first albums with uh, MPS Records. I don't know if it's the exact uh, order or not, so I won't, it doesn't matter anything. But uh, we did uh, two albums with Robert Farnett, the Gov. And all Bob said at the time when uh, we were starting to work together, he said, I just don't forget, Gene, you've got nice ideas and everything, but I own the key of E flat. <laughs> <laughs> So, I cut down my, you know, a little bit, jeez. So, and thanks to the Dobbs, it's so nice to Bob to remember me here. Just love it. I talked to him a lot of week ago and said, you better send something. <laughs> and he called me back and said, I just have to, you know, so I told him I wasn't. Um, but Bob is a great talent. And we did our things in, in London, our tracks, and uh, uh, singers were always at present at the tracks when the singers were limited because we had already rehearsed to some extent what we were going to sing on the record from our standpoint as singers. Then I would ship off the vocal arrangement to the arranger, in this case Robert Farnan in London, and we would speak a little bit by phone, but amazingly not that much because of course I, I, was, I grew up on Robert Farnan, Robert Farnan arrangements. I worked at uh, London Records um, as a shipping clerk on La Brea in 1950, and the first thing that I got in the shipping room was Bob Farnham's 78s, and I thought, this is just great, and I asked the boss, Bob Cantor, if I could take them home and listen to them, and I never thought that 40 years or whatever it is later, I'd be doing two things with him as arranging, you know, together, and it happened, with other people too, so it's just part of my life that's been so great, but Bob was great, and is great, and still writing, of course. And his is his is 85th birthday, just passed now, and uh, we wish him well. Yeah, that was Sentimental Journey and Eventide, both sort of large albums. Roger Kelbway, great Roger. Crazy ideas, great pianistics, you know, all over the place, and a tough, tough, uh, tough man with trying to fit things in because he just wrote so, so beautifully. So it worked out well, and it was the Roger Kelbway. Uh, cello quartet at that time with the great Edgar Luskart. He was just marvelous. And how, how Roger got him to do the jazz and things were just, you know, pretty pretty neat. So we did um, one album with uh, 
with Frederick Lee. And then we did one with Marty Page, too, at that time, with Ilo's. And, uh, and then later on we did one, we did two with Marty, right? Yeah, all that jazz, the first one, with the Dectet, Meltemese type thing, you know? It's great. And uh, a marvelous thing in itself. But then we used a big band thing with uh, the Ilo's all over the place, which is a later Columbia release. Oscar Peterson, the first person that we, um, as I said, uh, heard us, and we, we recorded in tune with him. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, and of course the Oscar Peterson trio backed us at that time. Patrick Williams, who couldn't make it today. <laughs> but he's a nice guy. <laughs> and uh, so we did Feeling Free and Friends with him. And of uh, late, uh, later being about four or five years ago, was it Patrick Williams? <laughs> I I'm okay, I'm 73, I can do that. Gloria <laughs> uh, Stefan, yeah, okay. And it was one of the it was a Rob, or, uh, Christmas album for him. It was great. Vince Gill. Vince, Vince Gill was the latest one, but the first one was with her. Right, with Stefan. And the latest one was with Vince Gill, we did, yeah. I was asked to write a country and western song of Old Town Little Bethlehem. It was just a nice, straightforward, you know, thing. It was pretty, wasn't it? I mean, it worked out. I'm sorry you cut out a lot of chords. <laughs> I kept telling you, don't worry. This is he said, but it's you know, it's a religious album for the producer back there is going, uh, I don't know, you know. So I said, okay. So I wrote one page over, and you know, if I'd only done those other chords, you'd see something real. <laughs> but Pat gave me the publishing, so it's okay. <laughs> Rob McCollum, Boss Brass, I said that meeting Rob the first time was, was a treat. At the Toronto airport, he was, he was, you couldn't miss him because he's a rather imposing person as it is, you know. But he was wearing a huge uh, coat with furs and things that pelted animals and stuff, but you couldn't do it ever, ever again, you know. But he came walking down, you know, and said, Gene, I said, Rob, so let's have a martini. <laughs> so, you know, we had about three martinis and got to know each other. <laughs> and it's never stopped. We just, I, we're dear friends, he and his wife, Margaret, and uh, Rob's doctor recently to visit us for uh, a week or so, and it was just great. Nice to have him. And he's, of course, he's a great, you know, his arrangements with the Boss Brass. Now it's a new group called uh, the uh, Ten, uh, Ramakano Ten, and Ted uh, Ted, right? Ten Ted. And they just recorded for new albums for all of them, uh, Just In Time, which is a label up in Toronto. It's a very, very good group. Still writes very thick like he did for the Boss Brass. Um, uh, I guess that's about it. But the, uh, although we like all the albums that, uh, with these great arrangers, I had a chance to write in a little different way depending on the project. But mostly we did standards, you know, so I didn't have any problem writing because I loved all these songs, uh, standards, and uh, you had from such a great, rich library from which to choose, from which to choose from. <laughs> so it was, uh, was easy to do. These songs always, you know, didn't have to go through the hoops, do the latest thing and everything. So that's why our, our things are like that. Or, as you may, some of you have the, the album or the box set called Magic Voices. Well, that is seven CDs of all of the singers unlimited except for the Christmas album. That's our whole career right there in one little box set. And it's seven, you know, different 
arrangers from all over the world, and uh, it's, it's just great. Every time you listen to it, it's a joy. So, um, uh, as far as arranging is concerned, though, I think the favorite thing of our, uh, I have to ask Don Chilton about this, how it feels, but the, uh, the, our favorite things, I think, for the singers and ladies who were doing acapellas, because that gave us the most latitude. We could do the dynamics that you want to do with acapella stuff, and just like you did today, you know, it was great dynamics. And uh, so that was always a challenge, and we just, at the end of the day, it was so fulfilling, you know, because we recorded everything in this little studio in the Black Forest, MBS Records, in Fielingen, Germany, near the Swiss border. And we'd hop out of bed in the morning at 8, at 8 o'clock in the morning, get there at 8.30 and start recording. At, and just go until the end of the day, you know, each day. We recorded each of these albums for Singers Unlimited, by the way, which may not seem a lot like, do you remember there's four singers? And we did it in uh, a week. All the, all the tracks, everything. And so it overdubs everything, it, not tracks, solos, whatever we had to do, we just did it because that's all the time we had. Like Don Shelton, Bonnie Herman had to get back to Chicago mainly to do commercials, you know. So that was it, folks. The plane took off on Sunday and they had to be back. And that was it, so. But that was, a, that was the greatest. And you know, um, I'm rambling a little bit, but I missed it right away because you can't do, I can't do all these arrangements and get all this marvelous accolades from folks like you. But you've got to know that it's the talent. Because it wasn't, it was, it was not talent there. My arrangements would be just an arrangement. That's a lot of notes. And the high lows, Clark Burroughs, at the time we started, uh, uh, Bob Strauss and Clark, Bob Morris and myself started. And uh, Bob passed away in 96. And that was our, uh, that was the last concert, by the way, of the high lows, not with Bob, but with Don Shelton. Anyhow, I just remember the date. But, uh, so we had, that was the first group for the first five years. Then uh, Bob left, and Don Shelton replaced Bob Strasser. And we went on to some great albums, and, and uh, with, with a great talent, still great talent, with Bob Morris and Bob and Clark and myself. Clark's here today. Clark, stand, take it, stay. Clark was responsible for our sound. You know, I could write stuff, but there again, what kind of tenor like that could handle all this stuff, like Clark did? So I'd have given me all that leeway to write all that thick stuff in and broad and high, you know, a pow. And if we get time, I'm going to play a few tracks for you yeah. of something. You know. <laughs> okay. um, so thank you there. Uh, Don Shelton is right back here. Don? In the high of those years and the singers are limited. I can't tell you how much I leaned on Don because I did make a lot of mistakes. Accidents always like that. You say, Dean, you know, like this. So there's a lot of those. So Don helped me an awful lot at the sessions and everything. It, was a, it wasn't a pleasure of mine seeing it all the time. <laughs> and uh, dear Bob Morris passed away uh, a couple years ago in uh, Arizona. But uh, he was a marvelous person, great singer, solo singer. And uh, so there you are. Our last, our last date with the Pilos was uh, 1996 in Palm Springs. <coughs> hello. Oh, hello. <laughs> but it was, it was great. And we said, that's it. We don't done. So for 45 years, right? Not too bad. Not too shabby. Okay. Now about the four freshmen. <laughs> I forgot to mention them. Well, actually, yeah, I lost it. No, here it is, right. So, the, the groups that I liked at the beginning, listening to groups, were like uh, the Pied Pipers, the King Singers, 
the Clark sisters, uh, the Meltones, of course, Judd Conlon singers, of uh, which uh, we give reference to, right, okay, earlier. And Take Six I like now very much. Mm. The real group from uh, one of those countries over there, Denmark or something, you know, excellent, really good. And John Rutter is very nice. I love choral stuff by John Rutter. Also, um, I'm writing currently a lot of things for Chanticleer, which is out of San Francisco, a male group, 16 voices. And that's fun too, it's a challenge also, because they do a lot of, uh, you know, different literature, all together literature, you know, and hymns and stuff like that. So, what I write for is called Lollipops, you know, the things that they do after the show, and just something to be more light, light, you know. And I wrote, I can't miss how to say it, I wrote this arrangement of, well, I wrote the intro. Yeah, here again, the intro, you see. Uh, I looked, I thought, let's do something in the, the intro. That was uh, like a, what do, you, what do you call it again? With monks, you know, the... Gregorian chant, you know. So I found something that was about a minute and wrote it out and uh, wasn't published. So, <laughs> so I wrote it out and then I wrote the arrangement. So they go, oh, uh, for a minute, blah, blah, I won't get up there. And go, oh, I don't believe in diamonds. <laughs> <laughs> uh, give me the sample, like, you know. And then it's at the end, it's, it goes, it, 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 it goes, big, and they, blah, 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 and they go, ah, ah, da, 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 the sample, like. <laughs> 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 so, it's great writing for them, it is great writing for them, I do one or two a year, so it's great. Well, um, I think that uh, I should play a few things, because I've gone over all the arrangers, I don't want to just overdo it, but it's been just great having you all that are here, just watching some faces, and of course knowing uh, a lot of musicians that were here were in our bands too, and uh, we're going to play just a couple of things here. I don't know what we have up first. Which one? Tangerine. Tangerine, good. Because the composer of, uh, let's see, is it? Tangerine is here today. Tangerine. More travel. She is of a claim. With her eyes of light and lips as bright as flame. Tangerine. When she dances by, fingering to stare at a couple narrow sides. And I've seen, I've seen toasted tangerine, raised in every bar across the Argentine. Yes, she has them all on the run, but her heart belongs to just one. Her heart belongs to tangerine. It, it, it makes me think how great the arrangers were because I, as I said, I wrote very thickly uh, for for, my, for the vocal charts. There weren't a lot of places to do things and each of the arrangers in their own way filled up, you know, the uh, the, the spot, the opening, you know, up or bleep or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I remember one time at the rehearsal of Rob and then, you know, bump, and the thing is, no, no, Rob, Jesus, you know. <laughs> Um, but that was common to all the arrangers that worked with us, you know. Um, Patrick is here now, he came apparently was out of the room. <laughs> and, uh, what do we have next? Oh, uh, next is Yellow Rose. 
one of the great albums that we did, that I think we did, uh, we think we did, was with Billy May. Yes. And at the time, um, uh, let's see, both Clark and Bob Morris were working with, when we started the High Lows, they were working with Billy May in a group called uh, The Encores, with Randy Van Horten's group. And uh, it, was, it was a marvelous group in itself. But Billy did not go on the road at that time again, so they became available, and that's exactly the time that I came out from Milwaukee, drove out to uh, start my <laughs> and uh, so it was It was great, and there was Clark Burroughs with the sewing machine shop and a place for us to rehearse. <laughs> and all we did, I must say more about this, all we did with the high-lows was to work for a couple of months maybe, at least, on ten arrangements. And we just knew these arrangements very well. There was no mistaking what they were going to be, you know. It was the high-lows sound. And then we would sing for everyone. And that's what really, finally, we, we uh, so it's a good example there, you know. Just have your product ready, play it for someone, and, and let it know, be known to people in the business and alone, and uh, you'll probably get some kind of gig, you know. That's what we did. We got a gig for a lot of years. So, uh, but that was great, always uh, uh, working those things. Uh, what do we have next? Uh, Yellow Rose. Yellow Rose with Billy. And I can remember this because when he was doing the album, he was in Vegas, I think, at the time. He was writing it. And uh, he was hard to contact there for some reason or other. So, so the session loomed, you know. Session loomed, we showed up, and I think Billy was there, but not really because he was still writing arrangements in the hall for, for the gig, you know. And the pages were going and everything. He was really something. You know, how we could write, write on the plane, I guess, that way too. Perhaps many of you are, but I'm not one. It takes me a long time to write these things, you know, really. And uh, so this is a chart. It was, this album was called the High Lows happened to folk songs on Reprise Records. And let's see, this is Yellow Rose, right? Okay, we do Yellow Rose first. Thing. <laughs> I am gonna see Nobody else could miss her Not half as much as me She cried so when I left her It like to broke my heart And if I ever find her We never more will part She's the sweetest little rosebud That Texas ever knew Her eyes are bright as diamonds They sparkle like the dew You may talk about your Clementine And sing of Zelda Lee But the yellow rose of Texas Is the only girl for me Mr. Farn and the Gove, and uh, when I got ideas early on, I listened to a lot, of, as I told you, a lot of Robert Farnett records, and I think a lot of it rubbed off of me. Uh, just uh, bass lines, secondary lines to the orchestra, the orchestral stuff, all those things, just, you know, I'm sure they show up in my arranging, and I don't apologize because it's you're copying uh, a very good leader, you know, Justin himself, and what he wrote, and still writes. So. Um, this is one that you did for it out which felt it is. I get along without you very
the old trout all the time, you probably cause a lot of other people that do the right student, the old trout, you know, are you? Where are we at, China? Chinatown. Chinatown. Good. And this one is um, by a gentleman who we started out with, as I said, and introduced me to his name. I don't know if you remember this, it's so early, it's one of the first really? things. Yeah, that's you, Frank <laughs> Carmstock. And uh, this, we did this, I think, at Cap uh, Radio Recorders, or uh, Capital C. Capital C. Yeah, Capital C, the C, in the basement or something? But we had to leave right after the session. I remember to go to Kansas City to open the next night. So it was uh, quite, a, quite a trick. But we did this anyway, so here we are. All right, time to stop. Chinatown, my Chinatown, where the lights are low. Eyes that know no other land, drifting to and fro. Dreamy, dreamy Chinatown, harmonize a frown. Hearts seem light and life seems bright in dreamy Chinatown. Um, I think I've played enough for you um, for the afternoon. We're a little over our time. I think it's, 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 I'd like to play one more. My <laughs> <laughs> favorite is the acapella thing, as I recorded this, as I said earlier. And this, I think, is an example of maybe what uh, uh, one of the things that I like, one of the arrangements and the way they interpreted the singers. Lazy. Yeah. I find myself gazing at stars, hearing guitars like someone in love. So sometimes the things I do. And uh, Buddy Herman on lead, and I sang in baritone, sometimes and sometimes with Don doing those intricate center parts in the six-part harmony. Ooh. <laughs> 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 we used to laugh a lot. <laughs> Listen, I just want to tell you how really grand this is to have been here today. Uh, it means a lot to me because... <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening to another ASMAC podcast. We welcome your feedback at asmac.org. This is Ian Freebairn Smith on behalf of the board, and I would like to invite you to attend our events, including luncheons, master classes, and our annual Golden Score Awards banquet. For a complete list of our podcasts and DVDs, please visit our website at www.asmac.org. Many thanks to Larry Goldman of Balboa Studios for recording this talk and to Elliot Barker of Elbar Media for editing it for broadcast. <laughs>